Me, if you would, then to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22. I don't preach much from Revelation. I want to start reading at verse 17. I will probably be reading some other verses here in this chapter, but the verse under consideration for this morning is verse 17. The scriptures say, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Father, we just ask you to be with us today. We pray that you would show forth the Son. We pray, Lord, that you would help our hearts to receive the Word of God. That you would help me to preach the Word of God. Father, I pray that the testimony today will be from the truth and not from my own understanding. Lord, I pray that you would help us to uh, worship you today. Uh, Lord, we need the Spirit to guide us and direct us, lead us. We need the Spirit to teach us, and so we pray that he come. Lord, I pray that the meaning of this passage might be uh, understood by your people, that it might give encouragement to the heart and that it might also uh, bring remembrance to Christ Jesus. Lord, may he be the center point of our message today and our worship today. And Lord, may you feed your people. May you refresh your people uh, with the word of life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Now, how many of us have heard preachers that preach free will, free choice, uh, tell us that the scriptures say, Whosoever will may come. Probably heard that quite a bit on TV and the radios and churches that we've attended in the past. I've preached those messages. I've preached this message. Matter of fact, I've preached this verse in the past with a completely out of context meaning. But as we hear preachers uh, preach these things as it pertains to free will and free choice, um, we're hearing a wrong testimony of what this passage is actually saying. Matter of fact, verse 17 is not an invitation or is it an offer of salvation. Uh, This is not uh, the Spirit and the Bride are saying to the world, come to Jesus. As I, at least, I believe that that's what that was saying in the past. And that's how I used to preach it. That this is an invitation verse. Let the Spirit of the Bride say, Come! 
This is what we're telling the world to come. But, brethren, there's a, a few things that we have that's a problem here. Number one, we don't have a problem with this phrase. Uh, Whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. We don't have any problem with the word come uh, as it pertains to coming to Christ Jesus. Um, and we don't have a problem with whosoever will come long as we understand that the context of Scripture clearly teaches that it is only those who are given by God to come that will come. That the ability to come to Christ Jesus isn't something that's inherent in our ability in the natural man. So we must first understand that whenever the phrases, whosoever will, the phrases... Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. Come unto me who are athirst. All these passages that seem to be what we would call invitation verses are not verses to the world in general, but unto the sheep particular. They're to God's elect whom he has quickened, whom he has converted and given spiritual understanding who is given repentance in the heart to see that they have a need for Christ and have turned from thinking or believing that they can produce a self-righteousness before God and they see that Christ's righteousness is the only thing that they need. So long as we understand that context, that the whosoever wills are the ones who God has given the ability to come because in the natural man they cannot come, then we are okay with that phrase. We're fine. We understand that and we preach that. Matter of fact, whenever I sent out this morning on Facebook, uh, just kind of a, uh, a teaser on what we was going to be talking about today, I made mention of the fact, you know, this is the verse we're going to be looking at today. And yes, we do believe this verse. Because a lot of people will say, well, Calvinists, they're going to, you know, which we're not Calvinists. Uh, don't like that term. Don't want to be called that term. But that's what they call us. You know, well, you guys that believe in predestination and election, you know, you, you don't, you'll just stay away from those passages. You don't want to ever preach it. We have no problem preaching these passages, but we preach them in the context. So, I will say this, in times past, uh, I preached this passage and passages like this with the wrong biblical context. And I've repented of that, I've turned from that, I think that that was dead works, uh, that it is dumb. All that that I did prior was dumb. Uh, because it is not according to truth. It's not according to Christ and His righteousness. Now the second thing though, this statement, whosoever will may come, is not found anywhere in Scripture. Now, there's similar phrases that's like that, you know. As I just mentioned, there's the, you know, come all ye who are weary and heavy laden. There's come unto me. Uh, those who are thirst may come. Ho, everyone who thirsteth come. Uh, Isaiah 55. Uh, there are all these passages, and this passage that's in front of us here, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Uh, these passages are in Scripture, but we got to look and see what is these things talking about. But here's the main thing. 
The first part of verse 17 is not talking about us calling the world or us calling even the elect to Christ. When it says here, look in your passage there, and the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come. That is not talking about us preaching the gospel for people to come to Christ Jesus. The context of this passage, if we will go all the way back to verse 1, is this is the context of us speaking to Christ to come. We are preaching to, or we are speaking to Christ, the Spirit that is in us, who gives us the desire for Christ, is telling us to tell Christ to come. It is us who is telling Christ to come. Now, you say, well, I don't know, don't know about that, preacher. In fact, I've had this conversation with a brother just recently and everything, and, uh, you know, this is not an invitational verse as far as a gospel invitation. And I'll tell you the reason why. As I've always said, we've got to keep things within its context. Go back to verse 1 of chapter 22. Verse 1, it says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. Now, brethren, this is imagery that is portraying the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the river of life. Jesus Christ is that water that proceeds out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Okay? He's the one that's in the midst of the street. He's the one that bears the fruit. He's the one that uh, is for the healing of the nations. That's talking about Jesus Christ. And verse 3 says, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. And they shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And He said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent His angels to show unto His servants the things which must shortly be done. Now, brother, we're talking about the time that we see Christ, the time that we're with Christ. We're talking about Christ Jesus here, right? Now, look what verse 7 says. Now, if you have the red letter edition, you see that it's in red letters, signifying that this is Christ talking. We don't need a red letter edition to find this out, though. It says, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Now, this angel had brought John in to see this vision. Remember, in the book of Revelation, this is all a vision. This is all imagery, symbols, to show 
the panoply of all of the things that God was doing in His purpose of Christ. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ, right? And in this revelation of Jesus Christ, this angel has brought John in and let him see through symbols, through typology, through uh, all these uh, imagery, he has allowed him to see the working of Christ on behalf of his people and bringing forth the things of the decree of God. That's why the Lamb was the only one who could unroll that scroll. That scroll was the complete and total purpose and decree of God. And the only one who could fulfill that, the only one who could do it, bring it about, bring everything to be, as the Bible says, all that I have pleasure I will do, uh, paraphrasing there, uh, whenever God says I will do all my pleasure, He's going to do it. And the way He does it is through Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus has brought everything. He has created all things. He sustains all things. He's the one who has substituted for His people. And He will be the judge over all things. He will be the one who receives all worship and glory whenever it's all done. So we see Christ at the center of everything. And here Christ is saying, Behold, I come quickly. And John has been brought in to see this. Christ upon the throne. He is God. Whenever it says that uh, the throne of God and Christ, it's not meaning that there's two separate people up there. It's meaning that Christ uh, is God. The throne of God and Christ is the, the Lamb that's sitting on it. Okay, When we think of the Lamb, we think of this little sacrificial animal that was given, but we see that the Scripture says that Christ was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Christ is our Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, the world of the elect. Okay, He takes away that sin. Christ is the Lamb. But Christ is also God manifested in the flesh. So all that God is is manifested in Christ Jesus. And Christ Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the uh, the the face of God. If you want to see the face of God, you'll see it in the face of Jesus Christ. He is all God manifested in the flesh. And so whenever it speaks of God on His throne, it's speaking of Jesus Christ. And we know that from Revel, uh, from Isaiah chapter 6. We see the Lord high and lifted up and His train filled the temple. Isaiah saw it and he said, You know, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. That person that Isaiah saw way back in the Old Testament times was Jesus Christ. John, uh, the, the, the book of John tells us that. That the one that Isaiah saw on the throne in that day was Jesus Christ. Christ is God manifested in the flesh. And Christ is who is being seen by John right here. And it says, And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. So John, this angel that brought John in, whenever John saw this vision of this guy on the throne and Speaking to him, he turned around and started worshiping the feet of the messenger. Now that's kind of like a lot of the stuff that goes on today. <coughs> we have all these people that are pumping up preachers, that are worshiping preachers. Well, I'm of this man, I'm of this man. The Bible even warns of, of, of this. Paul warned us of this. There's some of you say that I'm of Peter, and I'm of, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of a Paul. You know, I'm of Paul's camp, well, I'm of Paul's camp. You know, there's people here today, you know, I'm of this internet preacher, I'm of this internet preacher, I'm of this man. There may be people that saying, I, you know, I follow Mike Smith, you know. I don't know why anyone would, but 
What do we do? We glorify preachers. We make rock stars out of preachers. And we put them up on a pedestal. And we 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 follow anything that they say. And if they say it, then we we doubt anybody that says anything different than that. If you don't believe me, just say anything about some theologian. If you disagree with John uh, Gill, or if you disagree with Charles Spurgeon, or if you disagree with you know this guy or that guy and everything like that, everyone who listens to them guys and, and follows them, they're going to say, that's blasphemy. We worship preachers. And this is what John did. John turned around and said, hey, we'll fall down here and worship the messenger, not the one who the message is about. The guy that brought me here to show me this guy, I'm going to turn around and worship this guy. See how crazy that is? But look at verse 9. He says, Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am of thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of the book. Worship God. Worship God. We're to worship God. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of the book, for the time is at hand. And he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he that is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Now, there'll be a time that we can come back and look at these things. This is what I want to get at. Verse 7, he said, Behold, I come quickly. Verse 12, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do this command, do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life. Who are the ones that have the right to the tree of life? The ones who are blessed to do his commands. Now we've just spent a long, long time in Galatians. And we've seen that the commands that we have as the people of God under the new covenant, under the everlasting covenant, under the eternal covenant, that the commands that we have is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, uh, Lori, here's cold. Hey. Hey, Caleb. 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 Yes. Come on in. I'm so sorry. That's okay. That's Come on in. Caleb, how are you doing? Doing good. About yourself. Doing Come good. On Come on in. We just got started a few minutes ago. All right. Come on in. Just have a seat anywhere. How you doing? I'm good. I'm ready. It's 10:30. Four times. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Usually we just actually get started right now, but uh, we uh, start a little bit early on the preaching part. But. We're in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17. So back to verse 12 though. Um, He says, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Blessed are they that do his commands. Now like I said, the commands that we have as we learned as we went through Galatians is the commands are not follow the law of Moses. The commands that we have been given under the everlasting covenant or the new covenant are the commands of Christ Jesus to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to look unto Jesus Christ, that he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is 
substituted on our behalf to believe on Him. That's the command that we are given. To love God and to love our brethren. Those are the commands that we are to follow uh, and, to, and to follow after. And these are the ones I believe that He is speaking of here. Blessed are they that do His commands that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. Now, he goes on to say, For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Now, after this, this is, again, the context of verse 17. Jesus himself, who is the river of life, the water that comes from the throne of God, the one who is the tree of life, okay? He is the one who is speaking of himself and who he is and that he is about to come quickly. And in verse 17, we go on and says, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Now, who is the Spirit and the Bride saying, Come to? Again, this is not an invitation that is being given to the world to come to Jesus. This verse is talking about, Come, Lord Jesus. Jesus is saying, Behold, I come quickly. Behold, I come quickly. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, first and the last. Blessed are they... They're the ones that's going to have access to the tree of life. Who's the tree of life? That's me. You're going to have fellowship with me. You're going to have your sustenance from me. You're going to have your uh, whole eternity of worship with me. This isn't an invitation to believe the gospel here. It says, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come. So who are the Spirit and the Bride? What's that mean? Well, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Well, number one, the Spirit says, Come, Lord Jesus. And the Bride, who is the Bride? Well, that's the elect of God, right? That's all of those who are the elect of God gathered together. Uh, and uh, the Bible says that we are saying, Come, Lord Jesus. And we say that because the Spirit that is in us, that teaches us, the Spirit that is in us, that prompts us, the Spirit that is in us, that grants us the desires for God, those are the things that is causing us uh, to say, Come, Lord Jesus, we have been given. And I'll get into that in just a little bit. But he says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. So that's actually one and the same. The Spirit in us causes us to say, Come quickly, Lord Jesus, and let him that is a thirst come. Or excuse me, and let him that heareth come. Well, who is the one that heareth? Well, the Bible tells us who is the one that hears. Who is the one that is a thirst? Well, the Bible tells us who the one that is a thirst. And so he says, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Now, this, and whosoever will. This isn't an open invitation again, like I said earlier. This is not an open offer just to anybody that wants to come can come. And the reason why is because there is an overarching teaching throughout Scripture that disagrees with the notion that what most people preach, that whosoever will may come, is just an open invitation, that whosoever that wants to come to Jesus can come to Jesus, that whenever they hear the gospel they can either take it or leave it. 
that they have this freedom of choice to be able to decide for Christ, to decide their destiny, okay? The whole of Scripture is against that mentality, against that type of preaching. So we know that whenever this passage is being uh, written by John, whenever this passage is being preached in the pulpits, it should never be preached as an open invitation that should ever give anybody the notion that they have the ability to just come to Jesus whenever they want and that this is what this is talking about. This is talking about the people of God desiring the return of Jesus Christ who purchased them, who redeemed them, who is their Savior, who substituted for them, and them desiring for His return so that they may be where He is and that this curse that we've seen will be lifted. There will be no more curse. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more pain. It's the desire for that. The whosoever will that's thrown in here at the end, and I don't mean it thrown in just, you know, like it doesn't have any meaning because the Spirit doesn't put anything in here for no reason. The whosoever will isn't said like this. And whosoever wills, let him take the water of life freely. That's not what that says. It says, and whosoever will, will what? Whosoever will come. And whosoever will come, let him take of the water of the life freely. Only the ones who are given to come take of the water of life freely. You say, well, preacher, I think you're really pressing a soteriological problem or a soteriological supposition onto the scriptures. You're, you're pushing your doctrines of grace. You're preaching your uh, theology, your uh, uh, presupposition that uh, predestination election is what the Bible teaches. That's what you're preaching, and you're taking this verse and you're using that to back that. No, brethren, I'm using this verse because that's what the rest of the Bible teaches. And we have to look at this verse in light of all the passages that we have in front of us throughout all of Scripture. So that's why I say, the, the Scripture, whosoever will may come, is not found in Scripture. While there is the whosoever's and while there is the come, there have to be preached within the context of Scripture. So what does the Scripture say about whosoever will may come? Well, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Now, as I'm reading these passages, brethren, just keep in mind, if you would, and think, if you would, about all that we hear, all that we see on TV, on radio, all that we've heard maybe growing up in, in churches and other places and things like that. Keep in mind what the messages were and are from these places that make salvation dependent upon man making a choice, man making a decision, man... Uh, uh, having the free will to do this and not do that, that the whole of salvation depends upon your faith. Okay? When the Bible is clear that it is not dependent upon anything that we do, but on everything that Christ has already done on our behalf. Ephesians chapter 2, and look at verse 1. It says, And you hath he quickened who were what? Dead in trespasses and sins. So the Bible says that we, by nature, are dead in trespasses 
and sins. We're dead spiritually. That means we have no spiritual life. Because of the trespass and sins of Adam, we are dead because we are the seed of Adam, naturally. Okay, Because he is our natural head. Everybody who seminally is in him, that means everybody that comes from his loins is born of flesh, that is born of the earth, that is earthy. We, by nature, are dead in trespasses and sins. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. we just seen that we are dead in trespass and sins. That means we have no spiritual life, right? No spiritual life. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Actually, start at verse 10. It says, But God hath revealed them to us. I'm sorry, verse 9. But it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. Okay, so the people that love God, and the only ones that love God are the ones that God has shed His love and brought in their hearts because we love Him because He first loved us, right? No one has seen or heard or understood these things, but God hath revealed them to us. How? By His Spirit. God reveals the things of the salvation of Christ for His people to His people by the Spirit of God. It's not something that we can learn outside of that. It, all the reading of the Bible is never going to teach us and give us understanding and wisdom in these things unless the Spirit of God gives us spiritual life and teaches us the spiritual things that this Bible holds. But God hath revealed them to us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us. Well, what things are freely given to us? Well, in Ephesians chapter 1, the Bible says that He has given us all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus according as He has chosen us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. The only way that we know anything about salvation and what Christ has done for us and know it in the biblical way, not the, not the free will way, not the thoughts of man, not the theology of man, who thinks that he gets them by making that decision, by choosing Jesus, accepting Jesus into his heart, by asking Jesus to be Lord of his life, to hear that knock on the door and let him come in. That's not the gospel. That's not how men are saved. That's not how God gives you his salvation. But we're talking about the Spirit giving us the understanding and knowledge of how the gospel truly is what Christ truly has done. And it says here, which things also we speak, not in the words of man's wit, that man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. So again, we have to have spiritual understanding, and to have spiritual understanding, we have to have spiritual life. But it says in verse 14, look at it, but the natural man, now that's who we are that's dead in trespasses and sins, that's who we are 
unless we've been quickened of God, unless we've been born from above. The natural man receiveth not or cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Because he doesn't have spiritual life. And someone who's dead in trespasses and sin without spiritual life, that in turn gives us spiritual understanding whenever he hears the things of the Spirit about salvation, how salvation really takes place. Not that it depends upon your efforts or your work or your belief or your trust or your faith or your uh, 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 adherence to the laws or anything like that. No, when it says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. When it says He has done everything for you, look to Him. That's foolishness. He says, for they are foolishness unto Him. Neither can he know them. See, that's the ability. Not only do they not have the will to accept those things, but they have an inability. And that's because they are spiritually dead. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him but we have the mind of Christ. Who has the mind of Christ? Those who have been given the Spirit of God. So, we're dead in trespasses and sin. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God because he thinks they're foolishness. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned and the natural man is not spiritual. He's fleshly. He's natural. Turn, if you would, back to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Look with me, if you would, at verse 18. He says... I'll start verse 17 so we can kind of get the gist of what's going on here. It says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Now see, we just read that whenever the Spirit begins to teach us, we begin to speak not in the wisdom of the world, not in the language of men, not in the understanding of men, but in the understanding of God. In the Spirit of God we speak. See, whenever we teach these things, whenever we preach these things, we don't preach the things that to us sounds like, you know, what we think they ought to be. What makes us feel better. No, we stick with what the truth says. See, it's hard for me to get up here and say that Christ died for some and not for others. It's hard for the natural mind, matter of fact, it's impossible for the natural mind to get up here and say, I love the God who chooses some and not others. Because by, by nature, by flesh... I reject those things. That's not the God that I would want. But praise the Lord that He's given me a heart and a spiritual understanding to see differently. That the God of the Bible is a God that is sovereign over all things and can make distinction between who He wants to make one vessel unto wrath and one vessel unto glory. He is able to do that and has every right to do that. And so here, we don't walk in the vanity of our own mind thinking that we can produce a righteousness of our own, that God has to be fair 
uh, to everyone and treat everyone the exact same. See, we don't walk in the vanity of our mind that way. Verse 18, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. See, this is talking about who we are in the natural man. We have our understanding darkened. There is no life of God in us apart from quickening. The natural man doesn't have the life of God in him. Never did. It's only through quickening that a man brings, uh, that God brings life into the man. Spiritual life, that is. And so we see here that our understanding is darkened, that we are alienated from God's life, that there is ignorance in us, that there's blindness of the heart. We cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to us. We cannot discern spiritual things. We are dead in trespasses and sins. And look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 21. This is because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So here we see again that whenever we suppress the truth of God... Whenever we suppress, whenever, and that's what the natural man does, brethren. The natural man does that. The natural man doesn't want the God of the Bible, doesn't want the Jesus of the Bible. The natural man doesn't want the salvation and gospel of the Bible. He wants the salvation and the gospel of the modern Christianity. The everyone pull yourself up by your bootstraps. The, every, the, the thing that says Jesus loves everybody and that Jesus died for everybody, and Jesus wants everybody to be saved, but He's a gentleman and He's not going to force you to do anything that you don't want to do, and so you have the right to choose or to not choose Him. And if you'll come to Him, He'll gladly bring you in and and He'll save you and give you the spiritual life that He promises and all the good things that He's given you and all this stuff. See, that's that's the gospel of the world. It's not the gospel of the Bible. The gospel of the Bible is a finished gospel. It is finished. Matter of fact, back in our passages in Revelation, in the chapter right before that, I believe, let me look real real quick here. Yes. Right before that in Revelation chapter 21, John writes about what Jesus said even before this. In verse 6, Revelation 21 and verse 6, he says, And he said unto me, Jesus saying unto John, It is done. It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. So here, there's that phrase again. But if you look there, he says, It is done. Kind of sounds a lot like what he cried on the cross, right? Whenever he finished the work that the Father sent him to do, he cried, it is finished. Now, if something is finished, there's nothing left for us to do, right? If it is finished, that means that it's completed. It's done. It's in totality there. But yet we continue to hear preaching and teaching that fill our ears 
and bombard our minds that says, oh yeah, it's finished on his part, but now you've got your part you've got to do. There's something you got to do. Something that you got to maintain and that you got to do. Well, brethren, that's not what the Scriptures say. Those who pervert the Gospel would want you to think that man can come to Christ for salvation <clears throat> at any way, any time he wants. Just pick and choose. I mean, just like, you know, hey, what kind of salad dressing would you like? Well, what do you got? You know, I can just pick whatever kind of salad dressing I want. Well, that's how they think that you can do with Christ. You just pick and choose whatever you want to do. <clears throat> But what does the scripture tells us? Back to Revelation in chapter 3. We just read several scriptures that speaks of our ability. We're dead. Trespasses and sins. The natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. He doesn't have a heart for it. He doesn't receive those things. Neither can he because they're spiritually discerned. And he is unspiritual. He is not spiritual. He's fleshly. We just read that he is... His understanding is darkened, that he is alienated, doesn't have the life of God in him, that he is ignorant of the things of God, that he is have he has blindness of the heart, that his foolish heart is darkened. We just read all those things. That's what the Bible says about who we are apart from the quickening work of God. That's who we are in our nature in Adam. Now that's not that's not Mike being a theologian for the doctrines of grace side. That's what the Bible's testimony is of you and me, of everyone that is born of Adam. That is our description, who we are. Now look at Romans chapter 3 and verse 11. What does the Bible say? Romans chapter 3 and verse 11 says let's go back to verse 10 it says, and it is written there is none righteous no not one but look at verse 11 there is none that understandeth now we just uh, we just seen that's the truth of scripture right we just seen we don't have understanding. We don't have the Spirit of God in us, therefore we don't have spiritual understanding. There is none that understands. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. There's none. You say, well, wait a minute. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. There's The Bible says that, you know, seek and ye shall find... So the Bible tells us to seek, so obviously we have the ability to seek. Again, brethren, we've got to take all the facts that's laid out to us and look at the context of it and see what it's talking about. Whenever the Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, when it says, Seek and ye shall find, all those that seek me shall find me, whenever it says that, who is it talking about? It's not talking about the natural man. It's not talking about every man. It's talking about those who have been given spiritual understanding. Because without spiritual understanding, there is none that understandeth. Those who are seeking have been given the desire and the heart to seek 
Christ. Because without the Spirit of God in you, there is none that seeketh after God. See, it is all dependent not on your choice or your will. It's all dependent on the grace of God in giving you a new heart. If God doesn't give you the new heart first, there is no seeking, there is no understanding, there is no believing, there is no repenting, there is no perseverance, there is none of that. It's only by the Spirit of God that that happens. And God has to give that Spirit to you first before you ever do it. And you don't ask for that. You don't ask for God to do that. And then He gives it to you because you asked. Because you never would ask for it because you're not seeking it. Does that not make sense to you guys? Is that not as clear as day, what we're just reading here? But yet to many, they look at these same verses that we see and they do not put the same understanding to that because they are without the Spirit of God. The Bible says that if anybody preaches not according to this Word, they don't have the Spirit of God in them. That's what the Bible says. If they're not preaching the Gospel, remember back in Galatians, Paul said, if anyone comes to you and they preach another Gospel, then the Gospel that I delivered unto you, which came from Christ directly to me, if they are preaching another Gospel besides that, let them be accursed. And anybody who's preaching that gospel, they are not a servant of Christ. Brother, anybody that's coming to you saying that anybody can just come with a free will or free choice and choose God, that Jesus has died and that He has made salvation possible for anybody who just will come, they're not a servant of Christ. They're not a servant of Christ. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. Jesus said this exact same thing in another way to Nicodemus back in John 3 and verse 16. Now we looked at this verse a few weeks ago when we were talking about, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the love of God. But look at John 3 and verse 16. I'm sorry, John 3 and verse 3. Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 11, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen, and ye received not our witness. Why did they not receive the witness? Because they hadn't been born again. Why did they not understand? Because they could not understand. Because they were spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. They were spiritually mute. They were spiritually blind, spiritually deaf. They can't see the things of God. They can't understand and hear the things of God. They can't speak the things of God. Why? Because they have no spiritual life. Jesus said, If I have told you of earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Jesus is saying, Listen, I'm putting spiritual things in an earthly understanding for you, and you can't even understand the earthly things, much less how are you going to understand the actual spiritual implications of it that only those who are born of the Spirit can understand. Unless you're born again, you can't understand these things. You can't understand. That's not my words. That's Jesus' words. It's not John Calvin's words. It's not Martin Luther's words. It's not John Gill's words. It's not... You put the name or name tag on whoever that believes in doctrines of grace. 
It's not their words. It's the words of Jesus Himself. Jesus is saying that no one will come because no one has the ability to come because they're spiritually dead. No one has the desire to come because they are spiritually dead. No one has the will to come because their will is bent to do what their father wants to do. And that is the will of the devil. They want to do his will. They want to follow after Adam. And they want to continue in self-righteousness. And whenever I mean self-righteousness, I'm not always talking about they want to do what's always good. They want to do whatever they think makes them good in God's sight. That could be anything. But most generally, it's this right here. Most self-righteousness, and if you look throughout the New Testament, you've seen the ones who were the most self-righteous were who? The most religious. The ones who were the most self-righteous were the ones who were claiming to be the people of God. It was the Pharisees. Hey, we're doing everything that God's telling us to do. Look at us. Look how good we are. We're dressed in the finest clothes. We're dressed in... We know our Bible scriptures. We know all the verses of the Bible. We're able to tell you what it means. And they become the most self-righteous. They think that they are earning their way to God by their religion. Brethren, that's what most churches preach and teach out there. And I know that because I was one of them. I too used to preach that same thing. And while I would never admit to the mentality that I just said, that is in essence what I was doing. I thought because of I cleaned myself up on the outside and I did all these things, do all these things and had all this religious activity, that that in and of itself was me maintaining a righteousness because God had given me the ability to maintain that righteousness. That's not how it works. The only righteousness that we look at, look for, look to, that God will receive is the righteousness of Christ alone in what He has done. Not what He's doing in us, what He has done for us. So who are the ones that come? Well, it's not the ones who were born of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of the man, but it's the ones who are of God that come. Who are the ones that come? In John chapter 5, while you're there in John, look if you would, chapter 5. Look if you would uh, over at verse 40. Jesus here is speaking to the uh, to the multitude, but he's also, especially the religious leaders that are there. Verse 38 he says, And ye have not his word abiding in you. For whom he hath sent, him ye believe not. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that ye may have life. So here Jesus is saying, listen, you can know all the scriptures that you can know. You can memorize this Bible front and back, and backwards and front. You can know this Bible in Greek and Hebrew. You can know chapter and verse of everything that is in here and still not be spiritually alive. He said you can search the Scriptures. 
and you think because you can search the scriptures and you know what the scriptures say that you have eternal life by following what these scriptures say. But those scriptures, they testify of me. And he says, you won't come to me. In all this, you know all these scriptures, but still you do not come and look to me alone as your salvation. You still think you have to do something. You still think you have to accomplish something. You have to be something so that you can be saved, so that you can stay saved, so that I will be pleased with you. But the pleasing came by the work of Jesus alone. The work was done by Christ. And so the gospel is not you do this, but it's what did Christ do for you. He says you will not come You say, well, there you go. See, even Jesus recognizes that they have a will and they didn't will to come. No, he said that they will not come. They had all this scriptural knowledge, but with all that scriptural knowledge, they still didn't do what the Bible told them to do. The Bible was telling them to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham, Old Testament, didn't have the New Testament. Christ had not yet died. Abraham, whenever he was told the gospel by Jesus Christ, the Bible says that he believed that that was his righteousness. That he accounted Christ as his righteousness. But here are these Pharisees, here are these religious men who are in, so to speak, we'll call it church, every week, who know the Scriptures, who study them every day, every morning, every night, but yet they still miss Christ. They still miss the gospel. They still think that salvation is something that hinges on something that they have to do. And he says, you will not come to me. That's not, uh, that is not a, uh, an option of will. That's an option of ability. Again, you will not come to me. Why? You will not come to me. Because you have not his word abiding in you. See that in verse 38? And ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he has sent him ye believe not. If you had his word abiding in you, now what does that mean? If you had his word abiding in you. Is it talking about this right here? The sentences out of this book abiding in you? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about Christ. If you had the word abiding in you, if you had the Logos, if you had God abiding in you by his Spirit, then you would believe. So who are the ones that come? Well, it's the ones who have been given to come. Okay? So now, we've seen that we cannot come because we're dead in trespasses and sin. The natural man receives not the things. He cannot receive the things. We've seen that our understanding is darkened. We've seen we're alienated from the life of God. We've seen that we have a foolish and darkened heart, that our hearts are blind, that there is none that understandeth that there's none that seeketh after God, that no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again, that it is not by our blood that we come to God, that it is not by our flesh that we come to God, it's not by the will of man that we come to God, and that we do not come to God. Look at verse chapter 8, verse 43. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. See, there's an inability there. 
Why do we do not? Why do we not believe Revelation twenty two seventeen is an invitation for everybody to come? That it's an open call for everybody in the world. This is a general call for everybody in the world to come. Well, number one, they're saying come to Jesus Christ. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. But even at the end of that, when it says whosoever will may take of the water of life freely, well, who's the whosoever will? But whosoever will are not these people. It's the ones who have been given to come. Who's the whosoever will? Well, it's not these guys because they can't even understand my speech because they cannot hear my word. And why don't they understand His word? Can anybody tell me? Why don't they understand His word? Well, we definitely know it's because He's not because they're not born again. But there's also another reason. Look at verse 44. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth... Why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. See, there's the children of the devil. There's the children of God. The children of God is given the Spirit of God so that they might understand the things of God. And whenever they hear the words of God, they'll understand the things of God. That's why the Bible says... That faith cometh by hearing. God gives His people hearing. And whenever He gives His people hearing, then they hear what the Word of God says about their salvation in Christ Jesus. And that faith receives that. Faith comes by hearing what the Word of God says about your salvation. But the hearing of that comes by the sovereign work of God causing you to be born again. So what is the only way that man will seek the Lord? Well, Psalm, we read it a few weeks ago. Psalms 110, verse 3. You don't have to turn there. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. That's the only way that man will seek the Lord. Is thy people will be willing in the day of thy power. Whosoever will, who's the ones that are the whosoevers? The ones who are made willing in the day of his power. And no one else. In John chapter 6 and verse 44, again, familiar verses to us. But the Scriptures say, who are the ones who come to Jesus Christ? No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. So the only ones that come to God are the ones that the Father draws to Him. If you remember in our passages on God's love, remember love is effectual. The drawing is something that is not something that God is doing to everybody, but it's specific that He actually, those whom He died for, He draws to Himself. And whenever He draws them to Himself, what does it say there in that passage? He says, and I will raise them up at the last day. So everyone that the Lord died for is the ones who the Lord draws, and everyone the ones that the Lord draws 
Come to him. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And all of those who come to me I will in no wise cast out. See, that's not an offer of invitation. That is a statement of fact. God has given me a people. I have come and redeemed those people. They're mine. I have redeemed them. I have done this. And the promise was if I redeemed them, they would be brought back to God. Right? What did Jesus do? Jesus came and redeemed them. And therefore, because they are redeemed, they are His prized purchased possession. And because of that, that means there will not be one that is lost. Not one will fail to be brought back to the Father. Not one will be uh, will be lost and be found in hell. There isn't going to be some bushman out there in the middle of some tribe in Africa or wherever that the gospel never reached that was supposed to be saved that somebody didn't get there in time and he died and now he's gone to hell. But Christ died for him. No, everyone that Christ died for will be there. The gospel will reach their heart and mind. They will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and come to Him. That's the only way that men seek the Lord is because the Father gives them the ability to. Listen, brethren, men are presumptuous to think that they can uh, come and exercise spiritual activity with spiritual gifts that only the sovereign Spirit of Christ can bestow. I mean, you're presumptuous to think that you can do spiritual activities without the Spirit of God first giving you that ability. And whenever that spiritual work has been done within the elect of uh, God, they are given a desire for that which is from above. They're given a nature that now, or not a nature, they're, they're given a desire now that desires that which is above and not here. See, we thirst for a lot of things in our natural man. I thirst for watching football, watching Marvel movies and junk like that, you know. I, I thirst for all kinds of stuff, you know. But the spiritual man thirsts for Christ. He thirsts for righteousness. He thirsts for a riddance of sin. And so whenever we are saved, whenever in the sense of whenever we are converted, whenever we are given this understanding and this spiritual life, we're given a desire for Jesus Christ. The desires of God's people is for Him and for His coming. Look with me if you would at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Now don't forget what's in view what we were being talking about. Spirit of the bride say come. He that heareth say come. He that is thirsty come. Whosoever will come he may take of the water of life freely. Right? Now look at verse 12 or Luke chapter 12 and verse 37. It says Blessed are those Servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to me, and will come forth and serve them. 
And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. So those servants are that, that desire for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and are awaiting his return, they are blessed people. They're blessed because they've been given to yearn for that. It's not they're blessed because they're doing that. The fact that they're doing that is the blessing. They are blessed people to be given to yearn for Christ and His return. They've been given to desire Christ and fellowship and, and, and communion with Him. See, they've been blessed with that because the natural man don't want that. He wants communion with a different Jesus that's going to just be His little Santa Claus to give Him whatever He wants. And that He can say yes or no to whenever He wants. Look, if you would, at Titus chapter 2. I'll try to move through these a little bit quick quick here, brethren. So if you want to follow along, turn quickly, or make note of these verses to look at later if you want. Titus chapter 2, look at verse 12. It says, verse 11. I don't know why we start one below. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Now, again... All men does not mean every man head for head. It means all kinds of men. Every tribe, language, nation, tongue. Not just to the Jews. Verse 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So here we see that whenever we are born of God, whenever we have been made spiritual, been given spiritual life, we desire and look for the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we see we are looking for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So the Spirit of God is teaching the children of God and is leading the children of God into all truth that says, Come, Lord Jesus Christ. The the Spirit is the one teaching us to say that. Now, look if you would there back in Revelation chapter 22, because I want you to see something here. In Revelation 22, and go down to verse 20, again we see Jesus saying, Surely I come quickly. And then what does it say right after that? What do they say whenever John writes down, this is what Jesus says, Surely I come quickly. He says, Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Even so, come Lord Jesus. So this come is not to everybody. This is come. This this verse seventeen is saying, Lord Jesus, come. We're ready for you to come back. We're looking for your return. We're tired of the sin that is in these bodies, and we're ready for that body that you've prepared for us. We're tired of all the curse. We're tired of all the hassle and the evil and the wickedness of this world, and we're ready to be with you. So come, quickly. It even says that 
in other places of Scripture. But brethren, this is the heart and the desire of the redeemed of God is for them to call for Christ to come. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, the Bible says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Those who are redeemed are those that hear his word. They are the ones that are being made to hear by the operation of the Spirit of God. If you remember the story of Lydia, the Bible says in Acts chapter 16, verse 14, And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. See, God opened up her heart. He had to open up the heart first. And so whenever the Lord opens up our heart, what is it that comes out of the heart? Well, it speaks of Christ. And one of the things that He puts within our heart is this longing for the Lord's return. We long for His coming. In Psalm chapter 73 and verse 25, the Bible says, Whom have I in heaven but Thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire but Thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. See, in this life we have people that fail us. We have life that is crappy sometimes. We have things that don't go our way. We have hardships. We have sickness. We have failure. We have upset. We have all this stuff in this life. And on top of all that, we have the constant bombardment of our sins. So our desire is to be out of this body and present with the Lord. Our desire is for our Savior to come and for the final enemy that we have for death to be defeated and to be taken away. For this curse of death that is upon us that we feel in this natural man, in the flesh of our bodies, we're ready for this to be gone. The Lord Jesus Christ is a fountain of living water. He said in John chapter 7, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And he that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said... Now, notice what he said there. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said. How is the Scripture hath said about believing on Jesus? Well, no one believes on Jesus unless it's given to them of the Father to believe. Right? It has been given unto you not only to believe on me, but to suffer for my name's sake. That's what the Bible says. It's been given to you to believe. You don't just believe on your own. It was given to you. And it says here, if any man thirsts, well, who are the ones that thirst? The ones who've been given a thirst by God. Who is the ones that will come? Because it says, let him come unto me. Who are the ones that come unto him? All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. All that I have given shall come. And all that come I will no wise cast out. He that believeth on me as the scriptures hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now brother this one to whom the spirit and the bride said come is the one who is the source of that life, the source of that water. It's Jesus. And he declared himself these very things. The Spirit compels those to come 
whose heart he prepares to desire this water. See, it's not just a free choice thing. It's not a free will thing. It's a gracious act of God because, again, no one seeks after God. No one will come. We need that sovereign grace of God to cause us to be born from above so that we can come and thirst, believe, and hunger. Brethren, if a man thirsts for life, he will have it according to the purpose of God. That thirst will come because God has purpose to give him that thirst. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 says this, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is where we see it. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. The one who calls you is the one who is the one who will give you that life. Who will give you the ability to come. So whenever it says here, whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Brother, it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. A man may come from, if he be willing, in the day of the Lord's power, to freely take that which the Lord has provided him. It isn't by your choice. It isn't by your smarts. It isn't by listening to the preacher. The Lord does not make offers or invitations. He calls. Whenever He calls His own sheep by their name, He does so and they follow Him. And so the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that hears say, come. Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will come, let him take of the water of life freely. Brethren, if you've been given of God to come, believe on him. Then you can take of the water of life freely. You have the promise of your salvation. The end of your salvation, which will be glorification, which will be no more sin. And let that water be your sustenance. We live off of the things that God has given us spiritually. See, I don't, like I said, I thirst for a lot of things, naturally speaking. I like good food. I like hot rods. I like fishing. I like sports. I like, you know, all kinds of stuff. But brethren, listen, the thirst spiritually outweighs every bit of that. And I pray that God would give all of you here that thirst that only He can give you. Not a thirst that, that can be quenched with water that will come back again and again and again, but a thirst that only the rivers of life will satisfy. His life will satisfy. Him satisfy. Alright, has anybody got any questions or comments? Anybody have a hymn that you'd like to sing? Still are here. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you thanking you this morning for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the water of life. We thank you for the bread of life. We thank you for the tree of life. We thank you, Father, 
for the one who is the source of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Him is life. Lord, we just know that without Him, that there would be no life, whether it be natural life, whether it be spiritual life. He is the author and the finisher. He is the first and the last, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. All things were made by Him and for Him, and all things consist because of Him. And Father, we give Him praise. We give glory to Christ Jesus, our Lord. And Father, we just ask now that You just might, within our hearts, continue to place that hunger and thirst, especially for the coming of our Lord Jesus. We ask, Lord, that even now, Come quickly, Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that you would continue to teach your people and to grow them in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for this church and we ask, Lord, that you might continue to keep us faithful. We ask this week after week, Lord, that if there be any in this town who are your sheep, who have a love for this gospel, Lord, we pray that you would bring them our way, that you would that you would call them out and that you would um, somehow put them in contact with us, whether it be by our finding them as we go about our daily lives and ministering of the gospel there, or whether it be them finding us on the internet or however they might find us, Lord, we pray that you might continue to do as you've promised, build your church. And Lord, we know that you will as you see fit. And so we do not want to get ahead of you or try to, dream up some sort of ways to make it happen quicker or faster or more elegantly. Father, we just trust your work in building this church, and we know, Lord, that you will have it as the way that you desire it to be. And so, Father, we just thank you for all that you've done for us, the years that you've sustained us, the coming and the going of other brethren, Lord. We're thankful for them and the time that we've spent with them and the ones that we have in future days whatever it is that you might do with us. But, Lord, we do pray that you would preserve this witness in Joplin, that you might continue to uh, spread forth the gospel of God's free and sovereign grace through the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ on behalf of his elect people. Lord, we just thank you so much that you've given us this church together in. I'm thankful for these brethren that are here today. And I just ask, Lord, that you just might be with us as we leave and that you might just give us um, this week opportunity to testify of what Christ is and who he, uh, what he has done on our behalf. And Lord, I pray that uh, it might be a blessing, that it might be uh, edification to any brethren that are out there that might hear it. And brethren, if you have, or uh, Father, if you have any sheep that are out there, that it might uh, be for them uh, to hear and a blessing to their soul. And Lord, again, We just ask that Christ be glorified in all that we do and say, for it's in his name that we pray. Amen.